You're listening to So Much Pingle, the podcast about herpetology, field herping, and anything and everything about amphibians and reptiles. Join us each week as Mike and his guests explore the amazing world of herps across our planet. And now, bringing a half century of experience and perspective to the microphone, here's your host, Mike Pingleton. Hello there, everyone, and welcome to the show. Mike Pingleton here, and I am your host for these proceedings. And here we go with episode 55, the first show of the new year, and uh, I hope you all remain safe and healthy out there. Now, before we get to our episode, uh, I have just a couple of thank yous. Uh, As always, thanks to all the folks who support the show through uh, Patreon and direct donations. Uh, Your contributions help to keep the show rolling along, and I really appreciate all of you. I also want to thank everyone for their patience. Uh, The last month has been a bit rocky in terms of getting shows out, uh, but my laptop issues have been resolved, and I'm finally getting caught up with a lot of things. And uh, in the middle of all of this, I'm getting ready to return to Peru in just a few days uh, after this episode airs. It's been two years since my last visit, so I'm really looking forward to getting back down there. And uh, some of my friends are coming with, so some of them for the first time, uh, and then others are returning for like the third or fourth time. Uh, but it'll be fun to see them all again in one of my favorite places. And of course, I'll be bringing my mobile recording gear with me. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Now, this episode was recorded right before Christmas, and I want to thank Justin, Andy, and Josh for giving me one evening during a very busy time of the year. I didn't have any agenda for this discussion, and I really didn't want one going in, so wasn't sure what we would be talking about. It's kind of a different format for the show, and uh, I did have to do a little bit of editing for continuity and for, you know, for people talking over each other, uh, which happens, and uh, also had to remove a few expletives. Just a couple. So let's get to the episode. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to Only Herpers in the Building. And uh, tonight, our guest is Selena Gomez. Welcome to the show, Selena. You know what? I'd be all right with that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Hi, everybody. Uh, Welcome back to the show. And uh, tonight, I'm speaking uh, with uh, three esteemed gentlemen uh, from across the United States and uh, in uh, up in... uh, Square upper right is Joshua Wallace. Welcome to the show, Josh. Hey, how's it going? Happy to be here. I can All feel right. the tingle. And, uh, yeah, me too. Uh, and on my lower right is Andy O'Connor. Welcome to the show, Andy. Thanks. Glad to be here. <laughs> I know that's a underwhelming response there after all that. I goofed all that up. And, of course, at lower left is... Mr. Justin Michaels from Peoria, Illinois. Hi, Mike. Not Andy, Peoria. Josh. You're, from, you're from Pekin, Illinois. Sorry about that. Good enough. Good enough for the girls I go out with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, guys, welcome back to the show. Uh, I, uh, I've had all of you on the, the, speaking about this, that, and the other thing from one time or another. And uh, I'm a man who likes uh, people who like to talk, as it were. And so you guys like to talk. And so... Here we all are, because I figured that uh, it'd be good to have a show that uh, just sort of rambles around, has an open format, and uh, I really don't know what kind of things you guys really want to talk about, uh, but we'll, we'll get things started on uh, in, in that sort of erratic manner. 
so first of all, um, uh, Josh, um, we made you turn your fish tank off because it sounded like you were taking the world's longest pee. Uh, and uh, you, you have a turtle that you rescued. And uh, before we really get into the meat of the show, uh, I, I wanted to make sure we, you told us a little bit about this turtle because it has an unusual history. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I normally don't like keeping things and kind of didn't have any reptiles for a little bit. I was loving life and one of my other interests is to uh, go tide pooling and stuff like that. So I was down on the coast here in Washington and our ocean's freezing year round and uh, was walking down to the beach and saw some people looking at a little animal crawling along and it's like, hey, you guys see like a crab or something? They're like, no, it's a turtle. And uh, no matter what type of turtle it was in that spot, that'd be bad news. So I hauled ass all the way across the beach got to the turtle right before a wave came in by seconds. And uh, it was a little painted turtle, little hatchling, super tiny, you know, dollar coin size turtle. And uh, I was like, well, shoot, what do I do now? Uh, so ride back home with me. And uh, of course, you know, how that thing came to be at the ocean and who thought it was a good idea to, to release this turtle at the ocean. That's, that's uh, yeah, it's remains to be seen. Uh, it was a really common campground, really big popular campground, a place called Cape Disappointment. It's really cool and known for big-ass waves. And uh, yeah, some kid probably grabbed it while they're on a road trip, and mom found it. I was like, oh, it's a turtle. Release it in the water. And get brought down to the beach. <sighs> Boy. Well, you are the right person at the right time. Yeah, definitely. Uh, <laughs> at the right place. So, uh, and But you have painted turtles in washington but they're further east right you you guys don't see them where you where you live in the western side of the state uh, right? they, they are in the western side of the state they're kind of weird um uh, they're all over the east side along the columbia river and they go down through to just west of the portland area along the columbia river natively you know down the Willamette valley in portland uh and a little bit further west along the columbia but they kind of stop before you get into the main coast range um, natively. And then they're also found in the Puget Sound, Seattle, Tacoma metro area. But we don't know and we'll never really know if they're native or introduced. Um, hmm. The first okay. records were after people showed up, but it makes sense for them to be there because they're also in British Columbia. But there yeah, no there's disagreements depending on who you ask on which populations are introduced in Washington, if not all the west of the Cascades versus the east of the Cascades and down in the gorge. But uh, the general consensus is east of the mountains is native range and west of the mountain, mountains is probably introduced. Yeah, the Puget Sound ones uh, makes them being introduced makes the most sense. The first records were all from populated parks, not mm -hmm. well after we already knew there were pond turtles there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I was out with my daughter early this spring at a local park, um, uh, close to where we were at yesterday, Justin, uh, mm -hmm. middle fork, middle fork. And, uh, there's a, uh, uh, yellow bellied slider in the pond and some other turtle I've yet to, uh, identify. So, you know, it happens, it seems like it happens everywhere. Every, every city's got a, a lake or a pond that becomes the convenient ditching spot. Uh, if not the ocean, uh, so, and you know, we've heard those stories about, uh, 
you know, the, the folks that had the gopher tortoise and they're wading out into the ocean with the gopher tortoise to, you know, to return it to its, return it to the sea, thinking it's some kind of sea turtle, <laughs> uh, which is kind of wild because I think a lot of people really understand what a sea turtle is and, and isn't. So, uh, you know, maybe watch a few nature shows. Oh, completely. And there's so many like rangers there too. That's the thing. It's like we could ask anyone. What would it help? But if it was a sea turtle, that would have been really bad. And then a uh, painted turtle would have lasted long, especially out with how the Pacific is with all the right. waves and turbulence and everything that goes on there. So you don't see sea turtles at all there? Uh, we'll get them in the wintertime, uh, bl- blasted up by storms, and they're all like near death. Yeah, the water's too cold. The waters off our coast are like 50 degrees all year round. They don't change. Okay, so you get leatherbacks, maybe? Uh, there have been sightings off there. We get a lot of, uh, like, Ridleys and Greens and Hawksbills. I don't say a lot, okay. but they, apart, uh, they appear. I think there was a, uh, like, a loggerhead or Hawksbill that showed up in Oregon, like, two weeks ago. Unfortunately, it died, but that's what happens. They get blown up. Okay. Well, refresh my memory, Josh and Andy. How far? Do you guys live close to each other? We're about an hour yeah. apart hour apart okay kind of like me and justin uh, justin's yeah. about 90 miles away from me so. yeah it's pretty nice being yeah we're maybe half that distance but it's all traffic yeah we're on we're the opposite 50, sides of the metro 50 miles maybe 50 55 miles apart but takes like an hour and a half on a normal day okay i see well all we have is a straight shot uh through, through the corn desert through the corn desert so it's it's a same time frame, but a little farther apart. So. There's, a little more. There's two major traffic intersection, freeway intersections and in cities between us. So if you're not going on like nine o'clock at night, there's traffic somewhere. And see how traffic's the worst. But it's nice, you know, we can call each other up on short notice and go cruising or set something else up. Very good. Yeah. And we do some herping around our area, but there's there's not... A bunch. Usually, we'll t- we do. Justin and I will do. We'll be involved in some kind of salamander shenanigans. Yeah. Or, or um, down the snake road or something like that. So you guys probably have a rhythm to your year locally, right? And so we have the same. So we'll start off probably February, looking for salamanders, and then moves into frogs pretty quickly after that. So that's at least you can get that. Like for us in the winter. We can get stuff year round. It's actually it's kind of paradoxical, but like the Northwest is pretty good for year round herping. Um, I just gotta wait till Andy's desperate enough to go find salamanders with me. Uh, that's always <laughs> the wait in the winter. That's true. But we can. If you become a, he's become a snob. Yeah, just a little bit of one, you know. I mean, there's salamanders right outside my front door, but if I want to see something besides the three native species here. It's like a two hour drive and I hate the cold. Like I have bad circulation. My feet and hands get cold no matter what, if it, if there's snow on the ground and Josh and Mac don't mind it, they'll trudge through knee deep snow to flip near a Creek. And I just stand there and shiver with purple hands. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty great to watch Andy like get hypothermic while I'm standing in the splash zone <laughs> pretty- and, and the water is like 37 degrees. It's just, absolutely frigid but if we get at least some decent warm air it doesn't matter what time of year it is the salamanders are going to be out moving same with the frogs uh 
we'll even get the reptiles hmm. going. They're really cold tolerant, so they'll even go. And our the, climate's just weird. So we we get really dramatic weather shifts, and so uh, in this in the about first week of March or so, the Illinois chorus frog starts to come out, and it's kind of a rarity. Uh, to see anyway, they're real spotty distribution. They're not everywhere, and I've got a couple of really good spots for them. So um, I this year went out nine nights in a row until they stopped calling, trying to take kind of anecdotal data to understand them better. Um, but they stopped calling at 33 uh, Fahrenheit air temp. That happened to be about one or two a.m. a couple of nights. So I was in the water, <laughs> cold. Uh, until they finally quit. And then I was like, all right, well, I better pack it up and go, <laughs> go home now. I was with you uh, one of those nights, brother. Yeah. And it was terrible, wasn't it? <laughs> it was terrible. Andy, you wouldn't have liked it at all. You have the pond starts it. icing up around you. And <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And you're, you're right. It, it, you know, the temps started dropping and the frogs just went quiet. You'll get a couple that are really hanging on. So you'll get a strong course, you know, let's say a hundred frogs and then it becomes 50 and then it's 10. Then you know, about 37 degrees, there's like five of them still going. And then slowly, 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 they're just quiet. And, and, uh, so I was trying to take some, you know, just data on that. And I don't know for whatever it's worth, but then I can understand better. Uh, you know, at 50 Fahrenheit, they're going hard and that's probably when I should focus on it. But I was kind of, it's kind of been an obsession, these chorus frogs. And then the, uh, and then after them, Mike and I do the snoring thunder, which is equally stupid. Driving those are the, your, your gophers, right? Yeah, we drive yeah. around. We drive around a, with Jeremy Schumacher for a couple nights in a row, all night long, with our heads out the window and pouring rain. And it's not warm out by any stretch. And if we hear one, you know, far off, you can hear them pretty far. We try to figure out, you know, get everybody's got a phone out and trying to get on a map, trying to figure out what road goes over there, what body of water is over there and how can we get into it? And is it private property? And it's, it's fun, but it's, it's also not at the same time. That sounds like a pain in the ass. We got basically one frog up here that calls and, uh, they, yeah, all, all your frogs hang around rocky, you know, streams and waterfalls and stuff where it doesn't do any good to call because they can't, no, no other frog could hear them, well, right? Well, uh, our tail frog do that, and they can't call. They don't even have the mechanism for it. They're what? so basal. Yeah, they, they have no vocal ability at all. They don't have the bones. They don't have the neck structure. They don't have anything. They they can't call physically. Part of the reason why they're so did I Did I hear you say once, that's your favorite frog? Absolutely. Don't ask him why. 100% the best frog on the planet, and I'll fight anyone that why. disagrees. Oh, I think I understand why. Is did, did they have a penis? Yeah, it's that my favorite they thing. You know, and wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> they have an external organ, Mike. Yeah, they uh, they have a cloacal. The tail is not a tail. Yeah. Oh yeah, so, that's right. And okay. it, it's fun, you know, when you find the ones that can't hop right, and you know it gets in their way. Uh, <laughs> Ah, okay. They're, All right. Well, you're pa- you're painting a vivid. Yeah, they're here. they're fantastic, um, and they look kind of superficially like uh, Pacific tree frogs, um, or like any other like chorus frog, but they're crazy different. Their closest relatives are like in New Zealand, and even those are pretty far away from them. They're super like old school. Like, got to go back to the Triassic when they split. They don't. Okay, so these things have been hanging around 
that type of habitat for untold millions of years while the continents moved around mm-hmm. and plates broke apart and supercontinents disappeared and all that. Yeah, so. it, I want I want to understand these guys better. Is there is there a book you recommend for your area, like a field guide or, or something I can dig ones. in on some of this? Uh, there's a good amphibian one um, that came out, I think, in 05 of the Northwest. It's like Amphibians of the Northwest, some similar all title. Right. Um, find the links for it. And then it's it's good, but the best guide in the Northwest is like reptiles only. And that just got a little bit of an update, which is cool. So that field guide's the next level one. That's one written by Alan St. John. And that's just for the reptiles. But the oh, okay. tail frogs, they're two species. There's the coastal one and the one in the northern Rockies. And these are uh, Escaphus? Yeah. Escaphus. Escaphus mm-hmm. truey and Escaphus... Montanus. Yeah, Montanus. Montanus. And they just live in these cold streams and... Uh, they're really common under waterfalls and seep zones, and you're slipping along, and you'll flip them under the same type of situation. You find uh, giant salamanders and torrent salamanders, and they're just, they're okay. really aquatic. And the the tadpoles are cool too. Yeah, the tadpoles are suction cup, so they can they attach themselves to rocks in very rapid water, where nothing like you won't find periwinkles attached to the rocks underneath them. Sometimes just the tadpoles. So they ha- they don't move. They can move. They they like what's that? Uh, you know, like the waterfall guppies. They can literally c- climb like vertical waterfall yeah. rocks. They're like that. They have a suction cup and they can propel themselves with their tail and like reattach and kind of move along the rock. Yeah, even against cool. the current, which is they'll awesome. attach to your they'll attach to your hand. Like if you hold them underwater, you can actually feel them like suck onto your hand. Huh. One of the cool. best ways to get them is that, like you flip the rock up, and you get like an aquarium net, and you put the aquarium net under the rock, and after a few seconds, you know they'll lose suction in the air, and then just fall right into the net. And they stay in tadpole cool. for a long time, and then the frogs themselves live crazy long because metabolism's just so slow. Cold water, yeah. yeah, they live really long time. Huh. Compared to other amphibians, especially. When you say long time, where are we talking? Like a decade? Uh, I think like 30 plus. Like 25, 30 years yeah. from what I remember reading. Okay. Um, that's that's, that's, that's kind of nuts cool, because, actually. you know, there are frogs that live one, maybe two yeah. years usually. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Cricket frogs. They sometimes don't make it through their first winter. Well, like half the population where we live doesn't make it through the first winter. They're just done. And they're done. And all of our... Do those uh, Illinois chorus frogs call from the water or from the vegetation above the water? Um, they call... They're they're above the water, but they're right above the water. Yeah, their head's sticking out. Their body... So they'll, they'll usually find reeds and okay. they'll, they'll grab onto it and... Uh, I was going to say, you need to take water temps when it's going from 50 to 30 on those nights to see... Yeah, I probably the should. Or the water temp that's driving them well, to shut up. Yeah, it could be, could be, and like I said, it's all anecdotal. But uh, all of the chorus frogs are masters at throwing their voice and making you think that mm-hmm. it's many feet away from where they are. So they're hard to they're hard to get a fix on. Yeah, those Illinois chorus frogs aren't easy. Only one time did I have a an occasion where I saw um, a multitude of them, and they were easy to see calling. I mean, it was one of those nights when. They they just did not care. What, yeah, when they're full blown, on. they're yeah. just 
full-blown reproductive um like a super chorus yeah yeah and they just uh, they just they're just uh, the fit is on them as as you might say and i it happened to be uh 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 dick bartlett and jake scott had come up to southern illinois for the to see these guys and it was just one of those right times for them to come up and see it so we got to see quite a few frogs uh just you know they all hang on to like uh you know a stalk or a reed or a piece of vegetation that they hang on and then they've got their head sticking out and then they're they're doing a little calling thing but they were out in the open water doing that instead of tucked under banks and things which is a lot of times they're just kind of tucked under stuff and they're really hard to to see so i look forward to trying that again soon maybe in a few months yeah i'm just super interested in them uh, for all kinds of reasons their range is really disjunct because they they live in sandy areas only which are there's not a lot of that where we are and then then there's uh the fact that they're they're a hylid but they burrow many feet into the ground and and live under the ground the majority of their life cycle they're just crazy yeah they actually have a they have a a keratinized uh horn on their back feet that they dig like a spade foot toad oh wow is that disjunct? Is that um, historic disjunct? You know, like from the last ice age, disrupting their habitat type stuff, or is it all recent human history? Well, Mike, I think you understand the geology of those sand blowouts much better than I do. I don't think that's glacial, is it? Yeah, they're they've come north, uh, but they populate the the sandy areas. Uh, they're they're related to Streckeri. Uh, Sudacris uh, Streckeri, Streckeris chorus frog. Yeah. Uh, and, and a lot of people have them lumped together, but currently they're considered their own species, Sudacris illinoensis. Uh, and, and after the, you know, the, the glaciers retreat, uh, of course, glaciers leave lots of, um, as, as a consequence of glaciation and the retreat of glaciers, you end up with uh, a lot of sand uh, and a lot of ground up uh, material and, and, the sandy soils. And so usually along the river banks, uh, that's a prime situation for that. And so these things have, as the glaciers retreated, these frogs have moved northward and eastward, uh, up the great river channels, uh, utilizing the sandy habitat. So, uh, and so up near, uh, where Justin lives up in the peak and Peoria area, it's, it's not as far north as they're found. They're found a little further north, but it's one of the places, one of the northernmost places where they're found. And of course, there are populations of them down in southern Illinois, uh, close to our, our favorite place, Snake Road. And then, uh, of course, they're across the river in Missouri, and they're down in Arkansas and the sandy soils down there, too. So they're, yeah. they're here and there. I'd gamble the straightening of the river for barges and navigation has a lot to do with their their populations being chopped up. Because when you straighten out a river, you don't have any of those backflows and eddies and it washes the sand away. So you end up with sand pockets instead of a continuous sand habitat. Yeah, yeah. It gets rid of the low energy and high energy right. bends in the river, right? Yeah. Those octos and stuff have been killer up here as they've done that to our rivers too. Yeah, it's a um, common thing, I guess. So. Really? But uh, oh, go I was going to say what fascinating with your time about uh justin and for people trying to f- go herping and find herps like there's so there's so many little nuanced things that dictate if you're going to find an animal surface active and that's what really se- uh, separates the good the good people who are at this and the people who kind of just only ever seen anything incidentally 
um, is that time and that effort to understand the little nuances. And like what your temperature range is huge, um, especially for a lot of amphibians. Um, most of our salamanders, they have a preferred temperature range that they're at. Uh, you have a couple generalists, but for the most part, you only find them in a very narrow temperature window or narrow moisture window or a narrow, the woody debris that they like to live in. How rotted is it? Like, Anides don't like very rotted. And Satinas like it medium rotted. It just kind of goes down from there. And that's uh, one of the main reasons why I like uh, herping so much is understanding those little nuances in nature while you're out in it because you can't see it on the macro scale. You got to look at down micro. Yeah, you got to experience it. You're, like you say, the differences between uh, like you're talking about uh, like logs and mm-hmm. what types. You know, it's like well, you figure any a log is a log is a log, but you know maybe not. Uh, uh, no, I I try to see if they're squishy or not. <laughs> <laughs> and if they're if they're pretty stiff, I might roll it over uh, if if I thought there's a snake under it. But if it's a it's a fall salamander thing, I'm probably going to say no that that hasn't been there for very long. It's not squishy, and there'll be there'll be no ambistomid under that. So I get what you're saying. That's the kind of stuff I think needs to be in a field guide, though. Like, how do you target these things? Not just habitat, but I don't know. Sounds like a good sequel, like a an advanced version of uh, someone we know who wrote a herping field guide introduction to field herping book. If you have <laughs> if you have one of those, I'll sign it. I didn't write it and have anything to do with it, but I will sign it. You know, it. Justin, next time I go to Snake Road, I will have it on me. I want Mike to sign it. I just want you. It's funny. I have a copy, and uh, the people that I cared to get signatures from filled up all the empty spaces, so I don't have any room for you, Justin. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) Andy's hard. Always the bridesmaid. Yeah. (laughs) Andy's just, he doesn't understand just how important you are to this entire thing, Justin. You wouldn't even know him if it wasn't for me. That's irrelevant. Um, (laughs) I've known Andy since he was wet behind the ears, so that's true. Yeah, that's what's crazy to think. Just how long we've all been knowing each other and knowing close confidants and close friends. Like I, yeah, first time, time I talked to all three of you guys when I was fourteen, if that, back in the old, old, old days. I was I was just saying to Mike that how I met so many people from FHF uh, Field Hurt Forum, which was which was fantastic for the for the it was right for the time. It's perfect for the time. And, yeah. And how so many of you guys are amazing photographers. And at that time I was like, I was doing weddings and portrait work, you know, like I was legitimately a professional photographer, but I didn't have the whatever to translate that over to herps. And you guys were posting these killer photos. And I was, uh, (laughs) I was scared to, to post because I was so intimidated by the photos. And now some of the, you guys, uh, not going to name any names, but people would just post like they're not really good photos. Then it made other people feel like they could post not very good photos with story write-ups. And then I've seen some of people who weren't posting very good photos become amazing photographers. I've I've seen the whole journey. I never got better. So I just kind of quit doing it. But some of you guys got really, really good at it, like composing a shot and getting the light right, getting a really cool shot, but started out, you know, I could see the whole progression and it's been, (laughs) been really cool i wasn't one of those people that got better didn't get that figured well, out it's but. hard to improve on perfect justin that's what you should <laughs> think about with that uh 
you retired here. You, you retired your game yeah, early. Yeah. When you're on the mountaintop, yeah. you just don't need to. That's what's crazy for me is I felt the same way until Intimidate. Like, I could never do it. And then finally really legitimately picked up a camera after our Baja trip. And luckily it took off. Well, I like I like the, the, the you know, it's like, well, you find something cool. And, and that's of itself is this cool experience. You know, oh, here's a snake I've never seen before. And then while you're in the afterglow of that, you pick up your camera. And so it, it's sort of like, oh, now there's another element being introduced here. And that is to get, you know, the capture of this animal and to ca- capture nature in a bottle, try to ex- prolong the experience and capture the essence of that animal. And that's sort of a, a cha- it's not only a challenge, but it's like, you know, you're, you're in a different, you go from discovery mode to this uh, process mode of setting up, uh, your brain starts clicking in photography mode and what's the light, you know, what's the aperture, what's uh, composition, you, you know, is this thing going to bite my, my hand or, you know, and so you, you start getting into photography mode and then, you know, pushing people out of the way and whatnot. <laughs> Well, no. it's almost it's oh. al- it's almost as much of a drive to get that photo as it is to just see the animal. Well, I drive I drive oh, the folks that I'm with. I drive them nuts because I'm I'm agitated uh, until I get a photo of that animal. I can't uh, I can't relax. And uh, and some of you are, are I can familiar confirm, with this, but I, yeah. I get if it's something new I've never seen before, and I don't have the photo of it yet, even like a safety shot. I, I'm really agitated and. It's only after that I click that first shutter and I see that I've got something that I can, I feel like, uh, you know, internally things just kind of relax. I just feel like falling into myself like, oh, okay, good. But it's kind of weird, you know, if, if and in some cases like, okay, well, we, we have this cool animal where we can't, we can't take a picture of it right away. So we're, we're going to. We have to put it in a bag or something, or you know, we're gonna in hang a on cooler to it. on ice. Yeah. Or no, yeah. we don't no, do no, 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 no. Sorry, don't do that. Don't reveal trade secrets, all right? <laughs> uh, yeah, no Velcro, no super glue, and no coolers. I was say Velcro uh, tape. Your buddy's hand right off the edge of the frame. <laughs> yeah, but you know this. The snake is in, in in a say it's a snake and it's in a sack, and you're you're going to shoot it in the morning because it was raining that night before, and you didn't get a shot. So you're sitting there, and I'm you know trying to go to sleep, and I'm laying there in my pillow, and I'm just thinking about that animal, and it's like, well. You know, I can't even relax because I, I don't have a shot of it. So it's just, uh, I don't know what happened there. I don't know how I got to that point, but uh, uh, it's one of those weird in- idiosyncrasies that I've managed to pick up as part of the process of, of, you know, of doing I this. went through two separate weird ebb flow kind of things, like starting where Justin talked about where I was shooting with a little three megapixel Canon power shot at my, or a Kodak, it was a Kodak Easy Share or something. It was, horrible camera, but my camera skills were worse and my photos were basically worthless. And then I, but you pushed on and posted those anyway. Well, I didn't have anything else. I had no other option and I wanted to be a part of the group. Right. And then it got to that point where a couple people made comments like, well, with a better photo, I could ID that for you kind of thing. So I, you know, I stepped my game up and I really focused on the the skill of taking at least a clear enough shot that it could be used as a field guide. And then I spent a lot of time on photography on trips where I would, I was one of those guys that was like 30, 40 minutes. Nope, I'm not done. There's a twig in the way. I got to move its tail, this, that, and the other. And then 
I realized I was missing out on the field experience. So I got to the point where I was like, all right, now I want to get good at taking a decent enough shot fast. But now I've over-rotated because we've taken a couple trips in the last two years. And I come home with decent to good shots of everything that I photographed. And then my friends are posting pictures of animals I don't even remember seeing because I went and took one or two pictures of everything that was out at that moment. And then I walked away. And then it turns, you know, we've got little private Facebook groups sometimes of trips we took and someone's like, oh, does someone have an idea of this frog? And I find myself looking at it going, I didn't even see that. I don't have any pictures of that frog. What the so I have to figure out, I have to figure out a new balance where I'm maximizing my searching efforts. But when it's time to take photos of everything that's observable, I at least make sure that I photograph everything because I'm going so fast with the camera now, like kind of the opposite of Mike, where like I'll reach over someone's shoulder and I'll take that safety shot and I look at it. And I'm like, it's sharp and the whole animal's in frame. I don't care if it's post worthy. I've got document that I saw it and I walk away and sometimes I miss things. So I have to kind of slow back down with the photography because I'm going too fast and missing photography opportunities, even though that was my original target. Do you not count things for your list if you don't have a, a photo of them? So the lifeless thing for me is kind of funny because I'm not doing a good job of like journaling or documenting it. Um, I'll count it what I'll count it without a picture if I saw it and identified it. If I know what I saw, like I'll count it. But sure. The photography side of it is more on the lines of when you're in Mexico and there's 11 possible species of uh, aspidocles or uh, you know crogouster. Yeah. Like you, every single frog you see in the leaf litter is a different species. Those are the ones that I'm missing out on. I should take a picture of everything that moves when I'm in the tropics because I, I thought I saw you know the same frog eight times and I took pictures of the first and second. Yeah. But the third through the eighth, it turns out, according to Mike and Matt Cage's photos, were different species. And I'm like, well, I saw that frog, but I have uh, uh, 10 years from now, I might not remember because I'm seeing so much. So for me, it's more of a memory thing. I need to start like taking better notes. Mike takes great field notes. I should uh, take a page out of his notebook. Mike is Linnaean in his notes. Yeah, well, that's that's a re defensive reaction because you know I have um, I have the a, a attention span of a gnat, and and so if I don't write things down and correlate things, uh, which you know it's also why I, I put everything I see in Herp Mapper too because it, you know Herp Mapper helps me remember the things I saw and the dates I saw at the place I saw at the time I saw it because uh, I need that stuff because I, I'm like you know I'm like the old squirrel guy. Uh, in the field. So it's very, you know, I work really hard to do that just so I, I can remember. And so, and then at the end of a trip, I'll, I, I'll, you know, get out my, uh, notepad on my computer and I'll start, you know, punching out what we saw and when we saw it and put it in chronological order. And then it turns out everybody else likes that too. So I, anybody else on the trip, I just send it around to them. So that's, turns out it's kind of a big help too. So. That was invaluable on this last one. I think, like for me, it was crazy is I was not a photography guy until just a little bit ago. And I was always just go, 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 go. Like, like, all right, you guys, silly guys are taking your pictures. 
I'm going to walk down the road and be a mile down the road and you just catch up to me while we're road cruising and I'm just shining the road. And then I got into the landscape photography and it's like a complete 180 and now I'm slow and meticulous and I'm that guy holding everything up now because even beyond just like taking field guide shots, like I'm, I'm trying to take in the whole like landscape perspective and everyone's trying to get going now. Um, well, that's a, that's a very... The land, the stuff you do on landscape stuff, that's very slow and methodical. It's a very Zen thing you do there, right? Yeah, it's a total shift on that go, go, go to like sit in setting up a tripod and just sitting there watching. And like you're maybe taking like 10 shots over an hour instead of. It's okay when it's 2 a.m. and we're all sitting around a campfire drinking and it's cold and Josh wants to take photos of the moonrise. And a rattlesnake we found that day. But when it's 6.30 and the sun is setting and he wants to photograph the gopher snake, the 9,000th gopher snake we've seen in our lives with the sunset, <laughs> that's when I want to punch him in the back of the head. <laughs> hey, it's all about that sun star, you know, the golden hour. Yeah. Well, you have, you have to pick your battles and you have to pick your spot, right? I mean, it is... There's uh there's got to be balance in that. You're right. Um, you can't, uh, you know, it's one of those things you, it's a group dynamic thing. If it's just you or just you and somebody else, it's different from if you're in a group with, you know, six people in two cars or whatever, and uh, time's a wasting. Um, and so not everybody's on the same, in the same zone with you on those kinds of things. So you have to kind of pick your battles whenever you, you know, when you can. And it's, you know, some, sometimes these trips, there's so much, it's, it's kind of like, you know, Justin and I are waiting around in, in a pond in February. There's, there's not much of that confusing boom, 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 this, 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 then this. And we saw that. And then we saw that it's, it's, you know, it's a very it's usually different a target type. species. Yeah. Yeah. And you might see just that, that chorus rock might be the only thing you see that day. So it's kind of different uh, from these, these trips where you're maybe you're in a new place you've never been before and everything is new. And then you get home and then the other thing too, is, you know, I get home and I thought, I didn't even take a picture of what the place looked like. Yeah. What was yeah. the landscape like? How Habitat did I forget? Shots. You yeah. literally end up with that viewfinder tunnel vision where you didn't take your face away from the camera. And when you did, you didn't take a picture of what you were looking at. And so you get home and you've got like these one 250th second snips of three weeks and there's so much missing. Yeah. And, and you know, they always call these things smartphones, but if it was a really, a truly a smartphone, it would say, Hey Mike, uh, Hey dummy, don't forget to take a, a landscape shot. <laughs> you know, you can tell well, it to tell you to do that before the trip starts. Yeah. That, that, yeah. I, I needed to, you know, every, you know, I need to do that on, you know, every 10 minutes. Hey, uh, hello, Mike, don't forget to take a landscape shot. That <laughs> tunnel vision would you're in a creative mode is, such a wild experience to be in and then yeah when you come out of you're like you're like oh man i missed that or most of the time it's like i just did something really stupid there and it's like you know that probably wasn't the smartest thing to do <laughs> but that worked out especially you know we're, we're dealing with venomous things. i, I get it I, i've been the i've been the handler for hot photo sessions and uh you have to tell guys like you have to step back you have to you're too close you know because you're because you're looking through the viewfinder and you're got in your head what you're trying to accomplish and 
not realizing even just the three feet around your face that there's a rattlesnake in front of you that's too close now. Uh, I get it. But I've, I've been guilty of not getting habitat shots and regretted it a lot. So, Andy, uh, this is a question for all three of you, because uh, just going back, you know, talking about life lists. Do you guys have life lists? Do you keep like a list? Do you write stuff down? What do you do? If I've gone, if I'm going someplace I haven't been and I haven't seen everything, I carry those uh, right in the rain field books. And uh, yeah, my, but do you have like a list at home that you you go over and you go? Oh, I used to have an Excel sheet because I was inspired by Michael Cravens doing it, but I don't think I've kept up on that for a while. Okay. Tim Orphel about- got me a, a U.S. species. It's the checklist. It's just the checklist. Yeah. The checklist. And I did a pretty good job of keeping up with that. But I mean, it's U.S. only. Uh, so I'd have to go through. I, I need to make one. I'd have to go through. I've done a decent job of cataloging my photos on hard drives by, you know, trip date and I used to separate folders into snakes, frogs, lizards, turtles, whatever. But now I just have now I just have the trip and it's everything in there. But I could go through and at least get 80, 90 percent of what's legitimate, but not not good enough that when I'm losing my memory, I can go back and say, oh, yeah, I remember I, I did find that snake or that frog or whatever. I'm I'm not setting myself up for success that way. I keep kind of like a quick mental note but like it's more like oh cool that's something i haven't seen before and i'll get some excitement from that not that not the keeping of the list but the of seeing something new uh that i get excited for and then that hopefully sparks more curiosity to to learn more about it because like for me i always cared more about the understanding of the animal and like yeah it's like why is it yes it's ecology why is it out? Why is it doing that? How? Why was I finding it? What's special about this habitat that it's in? Oh, the, the geology is, these rocks are 5 million years old and like de- delving deep into the natural history. And sometimes when it, there's a new, it inspires that curiosity versus the same animal you've seen a bunch of times to dive deep into that stuff. But that, I kind of use it as a spark plug for that versus like, oh yeah, I've seen a hundred species this year. And hear all of those. Okay, so I'm the only really uh, focused life lister here. Yeah, I my list is enough documented enough in my head that like I can say what I need left to find everything in the state, or uh, okay, how many yeah. venomous subspecies I have left in the U.S. But if you ask me what my total species count is or what my species count of Mexico or anything like that, I couldn't answer you. Okay. I could be a little bit more niche of like, I, I know that I have five venomous left in the U S I know that I've That's got a couple good. amphibians left in, in my state beyond that. I'm, I'm, I, I'm starting to lean more towards what Josh is talking about. Like I'll have targets for a trip, but it's not just about checking it off. I do as much research yeah. as I can to like, basically to prove myself prove my research, prove my understanding, prove my worth, whatever that is for my ego. You know, finding a cantail in Mexico was a target, but it wasn't just like, I want to find a cantail so I can check that off. It was more like, right. I've done a lot of research about when and where these things are active. And now I want to see if my understanding is true. That's the challenge. Yeah. Yeah. 
applying the knowledge. It's checked off, but it's not checked off because of the species. It's checked off right. because of the work. Yeah. I unfortunately have the list thing. That's okay. I don't but think you've been that, doing, I don't think it's unfortunate. It, it's not no. no, it's you've been you've been doing that as a pursuit since I mean you've got a, a, a herp website you've had for a long time. Yeah, I mean you went over with Lewis and Clark the first time. Yeah, I, I, exactly. Lewis, uh, both Lewis and Clark didn't want to stop the boat for me to, to long enough for <laughs> me to uh, record my findings. They're really upset about that. And I, so most of my findings are post uh, Lewis and Clark expedition. Oh, okay. Um, it's because you were taking too long with the landscape photos, which is why you don't do them now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had to paint everything back then. <laughs> right. So, right. You know, and then you'd have to wait till the light was right. So should have switched to uh, watercolor. It's faster. Yeah, and I was always running out of, you know, like crimson and things like that. So, um, <laughs> on a serious note with that, could you imagine going and being on like, or like the uh, U.S. Natural History Museum expedition, so like the American Southwest in the 50s and being part of that? Oh, yeah. Uh, I think about those things and, and people, you know, it's funny. People say, hey, if they invent a time machine, I'm going to go back, uh, you know, I want to go back uh, 800 years so I can see, you know, what the herpetofauna was like in North America. And I think, um, not me because you couldn't get anywhere. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it, you know, how are you going to get to, you know, how, how am I going to get even to a snake road for me would be a, a, a torturous journey. So I, if I had a time machine, I would go back to maybe the late 40s. Yeah. You know, or the, um, maybe the, maybe, well, let's say even the, the, the late 30s where you had reliable transportation and some kind of road network. So you could get to places because the, yeah. you know you go back too far, you you're you're going to struggle. You yeah, most of, of your time is going to be involved in, yeah, it'd be like Oregon Trail. You know, you died of <laughs> dysentery. Well, that's yeah, one of the frustrating things road. about like a lot of the records up in the Northwest because they were on horseback. A lot of the records are listed for the closest fort, and they would ride out within you know a day or two's horse ride out, and say it was from Fort Nisqually. And it's an animal. It's not even close to where like Fort Nisqually is, like in the central Puget Sound, because they rode their horse two days over on the other side of the mountains and found a fence lizard right. over there and brought it back. Oh and, wow! And pickled it in brandy. Yeah, or stuffed it full of field mice fur or whatever they. Did. I'm on that same path that Mike talks about, though. If I've, I mean, if if we have time travel at some point, I want that sweet spot between modern transportation and pre. Kitrid and cartels. Yeah. Cause I'm doing central, I'm doing central Mexico and, and uh, getting into the rainforest and finding, you know, the, all the salamanders that you can't yeah. find now and all that stuff. Sure. So much. Yeah, uh, exactly. Um, you know, so, you know, you still might have a, a rough way to go, but it, you know, at least somewhere you know, between the fifties and the seventies, probably. Yeah. And, you know, talking to Dick, you know, Dick Bartlett, you know, you know, he, he went to Mexico in the sixties a lot, you know, back when you just, wow, that's really loud. Andy. <laughs> Sorry. They're uh, whiskey stones. All right. Yeah. But, you know, Bartlett went down there in a time when it was just, you know, you just went across the border and it was no big yeah. deal and you came back and forth and you traveled, you know, around and, uh, the, it wasn't the, the big risk that it could be today in certain spots. So. So I'm kind of envious of that. Sure. To freely travel Mexico. Yeah. And just go not to worry about all the other external forces that are, you know, while we're on the topic, 
I, I might retract that wish because there's places now that you cannot go. You know, you can still go to Mexico. We've done it. Sure. Yep. I've gone to some really scary places if you Google the city name. Iran. No, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. I the Middle East. You know, the Eurekinoides, the the spider oh. skeleton piper. Without basically an armed tour or a specialized permit where you go with the the one PhD that's allowed in that mountain range, you can't go to places like that. We can go to Mexico. We go to Mexico all the time. Mexico's not that bad. It's pretty well over-exaggerated to how dangerous it is if you follow some basic rules. But places like the Middle East, you know. But if you wanted to see the long-tail rattlesnakes... You literally can't fly there right now. You can go to Sinaloa. You can go to Sinaloa and look for long tails. It's dangerous, but you can well, do I, it. I, well, you, you can't go to I, you can't go to Afghanistan or Iran and and look for spider tailed vipers right now. No, even though there's a couple people posting about it in the last few years, they had really good hookups. They were friends with. Well, they the, weren't Americans. The, the two people I'm thinking and of they weren't Americans. Americans. Right. No. That's my point. So I, I would say if I could travel time and travel the world at the same time. I'd go to some places like that before tension got too crazy, before I worried about Mexico. Uh, time's I love Mexico because it's so accessible. Hmm. Yeah, uh, well, you know, how far back do you have to go to tra- safely travel in Afghanistan? Uh, Jeez. You, you uh, may have to go back the right age. away. Uh, <laughs> the 80s when we were hooking them yeah, up. Go to, yeah, <laughs> fight the commies, you know, join the Mujahideen. And- yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll wait for them. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that travel element, I think, is beyond the curiosity element of it. Well, I guess it ties into it. It's just using finding tiny brown salamanders as an excuse to travel the world is pretty cool to me. That's one of the main reasons why I love it, is just getting in the, like, oh yeah, I, I rode up a coffee truck to a mountaintop in Mexico to hopefully one of us in a group finds this worm salamander with a arboreal tail. And I, we almost fell off a mountainside like three times doing it, but it was totally worth it. Yeah, it was, uh, it, it seemed rather scary at the time, but it, it probably wasn't quite as bad as it felt. <laughs> no, it was bad, Mike. It was bad, Mike. <laughs> Josh can tell you about my driving uh, fearlessness. Uh, I've, I've rallied down some mountainsides in rentals. That was bad. There was a couple times where we were sliding towards the edge of that freaking hill. We were all white knuckling for a reason. There was, but did uh, you, there was, but did you die? We got away with it. The, the best one of that was the closest to death that we've come so far easily on any trip that I've been aside from Vietnam for me. Oh God. That was, that wasn't, that wasn't a, that didn't bother me as much as sliding down the mountain and under the barbed wire fence. That was that, that was brutal. That we were afraid for you. We were on the other side. Josh and I had made it up over to the other side of the creek, and all we heard was yelling and twigs snapping and cussing. And when we got the telephone game message, Mike fell down the hill and he's trapped under the barbed wire fence. <laughs> I knew exactly where you fell because I slipped there too. And, you know, when you're at the back of the train, the, the trail gets uh, slippery, more slippery, yeah, but because everyone slips in the same spot. That, that height that, like, slip and slide. 
Yeah, I'm the last guy. You guys turned it into an otter slide. <laughs> yeah. And and, I, and and of course I'm the 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 big fat otter at the end of it. And well, yeah. Let's be um, fair, Mike. I'm I'm I was third in line, and I weigh 165 pounds. Uh, well, I was a hobbit in the back, and I had to try to lift Mike, and that didn't work out very well. My slide was a foot long. <laughs> I slipped. Yeah. I slipped. You know, eight to twelve inches at a time. I can't imagine what it was like at the back for. Well, you know, I, <laughs> I, I, you know, I slid under the. Fortunately, I had like an inch of clearance under the bottom wire, but I slid all the way under up to my zipper and all that that entails. Oh. Uh, so I went, you know, the whole time it was like, you know, life's flashing before your eyes is you wonder what, you know, what parts of you are going to be removed by the barbed wire fence. And then as you plummet into the ravine afterwards. So yeah, it was, it was, uh, that was more, to me, that was more scary than the coffee truck when, and I was, I was a little frightened, but I was also really mad because I, I thought we were going for a, a little walk. I, it was definitely misadvertised. <laughs> yeah. That whole, that the, the, whole the night entire was trip like, was that. <laughs> yeah, but that night in particular was like, oh, we're going to walk around the popular property. We have an easy walk to the glass frogs. And it was like one of the hardest. And, and then we come back. We came back the easy way. Yeah, so let's maintain trail straight up. <laughs> Well, the funny part was that was the direction that me and Mac and one or two other people g- went was we went to the left at the bottom of the hill and everyone's like, no, you guys are going the wrong way. We're like, but there's a trail over here. We're like, no, it's over this way. So we followed everyone, slipped and fell and broke our necks and backs and legs down into this river bottom. And I thought like, oh, this makes sense. This looks like good glass frog habitat. And they're like, no, this isn't it. We got to go back uphill now and then downhill again to the next creek. And we're like, okay, it's worth it because this is the northernmost population of glass frogs. We find the frogs, we're done. And they go, okay, now we're going to follow this road back. And the road goes right to the spot where Mac and I were standing. And they said, you yeah. guys are going the wrong way. We're like, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was, that, Josh that and was... I ran down that trail the next night and we got yeah. to the glass frogs in 20 minutes. <laughs> if that. Yeah. That was very, very irritating to find that out later that for yeah. some reason we had to take in the, uh, we had the, the otter slide not taken that like, <laughs> we didn't even need to do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it, yeah, it t- for me, it was like, okay. And, I, and I'm an old guy. It's hard for me to keep up sometimes. And we had spent six hours in a van. <laughs> bouncing oh, up and God. down and i got out and i have you know i have bad hips and i i couldn't hardly walk because my hips are like on fire you know it takes a couple of days for them to to recover after that kind of stuff so so i'm sliding down the mountain and my hips are screaming at me and and i was not a happy guy i was not happy and i guess i was okay i was relieved that nothing happened to me like injury or you know um castration or something like that but uh <laughs> but at the same time i was i was not happy i was like what are we doing here guys well, the next day so, i'm down trying to take pictures of this little waterfall and y'all are climbing up and matt cage slides off the cliff and almost lands right on me and smashed all my gear that was a wild day and he's like hanging on by the vine on the hike down oh, the wow, waterfall would... that was crazy matt's had a couple scrapes like that too but uh, the one uh, he tells where he's uh in his costa rica in costa rica with his dad and they stop the car on the side of the road and and uh, matt gets out of the car he's got a bottle of coke in his hand and he opens the car door and takes a step out and and disappears 
they're because he's they're right on the edge of a, a steep ravine and it's it's almost a vertical drop and he basically slides down this vertical drop like 30 feet holding a coke and you know bang bang hits trees and he's but he, he makes it to the bottom without breaking anything and he hasn't spilled a drop of this coke but you know his dad's getting out of his car and he's like matt, matt? <laughs> he's gone <laughs> yeah, he's just gone. He's just gone, you know, and it's the middle of the night, so you can't see anything. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, so, God. So that's pretty good stories, but we've got too many of those. Yeah. But we, uh, we all made it. And there's always the occupational hazards. Like Justin uh, was hanging out with Justin uh, yesterday and this morning uh, with a couple of our buddies, and we were talking, you know, stepping on nails. That's another good one. Justin oh, had God. a really good, oh, man. really good nail through his foot one time. It went, and it was wearing a nice heavy boot. It went through the top of the boot, and it was a huge, probably like a two by ten wide plank, a huge and a big long length of it. And I couldn't get it. I couldn't get my foot off of this board. If I lifted my foot up, the board came up with it. And I don't know if it was Marty or Greg Stevens, but I was lifting my foot up and I didn't have the guts to like really yank it fast. So I had my foot in there with a board <laughs> attached and they just jumped on the board. Oh god. <laughs> Ow. Yeah, yeah, really. Yeah. That was that was that was bad. Yeah, the level of dumb bad. stuff that happens. And then later you're like, yeah, that was that was even a lot dumber than we thought in the moment. Well, you know, it's like anytime I go to a a fallen down building or, you know, there's like a place like that where there's, there's going to be boards with nails. All I can think about is that is seeing Justin with that board, that nail through his foot and that board underneath there, like a big ski or something. And it's like a cautionary tale that plays in my head every time. Like, yeah. oh, I don't want to do that. So I just try to tread carefully, you know? Yeah. It made, it made for a rough day hiking. Now you guys made sure to put that board back, right? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 We put that board back. Yeah. So you can't always be uh, an inspiration. Sometimes you can be a warning, right? I had, yeah. a, I had a board line, didn't call it that as a kid, but I had a board line around an old RV that had just basically collapsed on our property when I was a kid. And me and my friends used to go out and find garter snakes and, you know, goof around on it. And uh, we were walking back one day and my friend's walking in front of me and he jumps down and lands on the door of what used to be an RV and it shot up like a teeter totter. Or if you have like an L shaped board, he, he jumped on one side of it and the board flipped up towards my face. And I put my hands up just to stop the board from hitting me in the face and the board hit my hand and it didn't fall. And I pushed the door away and it was stuck to my hand. Oh, Same no. thing. <laughs> nail right through Big nail. Hand. Yeah. That sucks. Uh, yeah, and then he jumped off and it yanked it out because it was, you know, <laughs> he, he was standing, he was standing on it. So he was the counterbalance and like the board had like, you know, wiggle room, mm -hmm. but I couldn't, I didn't feel the pain for a second. I didn't understand why the board was like stuck to my hand, like Velcro. And then he jumped off and it like tore away from my hand. It was no, no good. Oof. Did it go all the way through, all the way through your hand or did it just no, go into it, your hand? it pierced the top layer of my palm, like the back of my hand, you could see it. Like it was all purple and like there was a oh, yeah. pyramid of skin. So like 90%, but you know, your skin's flex flexible, especially yeah, when you're you, a kid. The herpers so. out there need to be up on their uh, tetanus shots. Uh, yeah, yes. That's a good idea. Hey, speaking of shots, um, I saw a really cool article the other day that said that uh, 
I think it was Yale, has used the recent mRNA uh, technology to get a immunization or a, a vaccine for Lyme disease. Yeah. Oh, that. really? Yeah. And oh. I was like, I saw that and I was like, uh, with all the shots I've gotten in the last year, sign me up. Like, yeah, I'll take that. We were just talking about Lyme. We were talking about Lyme and alpha gal and the Rocky mountain fever, all of the ticket illnesses last night. And that's something that plays out for herpers all the time. I had a worry with yeah, my daughter concern. with that about a month ago. Um, we were out in the uh, Northern California coastal coastal dunes. We were actually finding wandering salamanders out 20 feet from the ocean. It was the wild. Beach. But the day that after we wild. get back, it was just a quick road trip down there. I'm editing pictures. The daughter comes in. She's like, get it off, Dad. And I'm like, what? She's like, get it off. And she's like, touching her head. I'm like, oh, this probably isn't good. And comes over to me, and there's a tick just implanted on her head. Luckily, I got to it right before it could have been a Lyme issue. Mostly, I'm just happy she came yeah. to me instead of her mom, because an hour later, I would have been at work. Yeah, it's always a worry, and and it's sort of, it's like a, I don't want to say a pivot, but it's 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 caused us to rethink what we do, you know, in terms of, you know, we spend a lot of time blundering through grass and, you know, the tick-laden grass and uh, chiggers and all that. And it never used to be a big worry, but now it's like, okay, now you get back. And there's always these jokes about herpers pulling ticks off each other and things like that. And <laughs> yeah. Some... It's a joke, but it's not because we do. Yeah. You got to do it. You got to go through this whole process of uh, making sure that you're, you're tick free and that uh, you don't. Nothing you know... builds camaraderie and brotherhood, like pulling a tick off your best friend's ass. Yeah. I, I, I bought yeah. a little thing called a tick key. And I can send you guys a link to it. Inexpensive. It's on goes on my keychain, and it it's just a little aluminum, I don't know, aluminum device that you slide over the head of the tick and then twist it, and it comes off, and in, and the head is included. So all of the tricks of you know heating a needle or tweezers or nail polish or all those tricks are out the window. You just use this little tick key and slide How it over small the tick. How the tick will it work on? Pretty small. Like not not like a seed tick no not a seed tick no because you were there for the Ozarks and I'm not I'm not going to tell that story because it's not (laughs) uh, it's not podcast friendly but (laughs) that's when you find out who your friends are the oven spray and yeah I found out who my friends were everyone left everyone left camp they were like well we're going to go to town and get supplies you can deal with that on your own. I don't remember stranding you, but it was, you were in a bad way. That's for sure. It was horrible. Oh, I yeah. imagine. I would welcome a vaccine. I think that would be, yeah. that would be great. I that was would super be excited. Helpful. I was showing my friends and family and they were looking at me like, who cares? I'm like, uh, I care. I'm getting the Lyme disease vaccine as soon as it's available. Yeah, I would too. That's, that's something that's always in the back of my mind. And, and the alpha gal. And uh, all of that stuff is yeah. always on the back of my mind. Especially the stuff that's just lifelong. I know a herper that got it. He got Lyme and uh, Bell's palsy from a yeah. tick. And mm-hmm. that's, that's terrifying stuff. One of our one of our friends has a meat allergy or a beef allergy, I should, should say. Red He's meat. allergic to yeah. red meat after, after his uh, Lyme episode. I've gotten it before. I've had it. I had my calf. Uh, a tick by turned my calf. It looked like uh, a, what do you call the, uh, an eggplant. It was that purple. Yeah. My whole calf turned that purple color. It had to, fortunately, nothing else happened. I, you know, got uh, antibiotic therapy and all that uh, before it got 
you know, anything else happened, but uh, it was certainly an alarming, <laughs> you, you know, my wife's like, what is going on with your leg? I'm like, uh, I had a primate, man. I had a primate specific tick on me after the Veracruz trip. And uh, that one freaked me out because then I was messaging all my friends like, hey, anybody that was at that place that like shook hands with that spider monkey. We, we knew a guy that, <laughs> we knew a guy that owned a bunch of exotic animals. And so we we took photographs with a spider monkey and with leopards and a bunch of cool stuff. But um, I had this it was a funny looking tick. It didn't look like a deer tick or a dog tick. And I pulled it out of my scalp photograph i was uh processing photos the day after i got home uh yeah i called the doctor immediately it was like listen i've got this thing in a baggie it's not your normal tick and she was like okay so it's from a monkey and i'm like yes it was a absolutely it's a primate tick i googled it she's like well you should be okay but if you feel any symptoms and then she called me back like an hour later was like on second thought you should come in and get all of these antibiotics right now anyways that's an omicron tick in case you're wondering <laughs> oh it was omicron yeah. tick yeah, yeah. oh great basically so, yeah so uh you know andy was patient zero yeah. for the end of the world wow i mean i could have told wow. you that for the last 15 years but... about six months and a continent ahead of time but probably not and that was from a, an animal in captivity. That was not a wild. That was monkey, a captive right? spider yeah. monkey, someone's pet. Uh, you know, we've seen enough ticks from the where we hurt, and this was a weird looking tick. And uh, just stay away from monkeys, man. Those things. I don't people. like primates. They scare the heck out of me. But I was pressured into sitting down on the ground with this spider monkey, and then scolded for smiling because <laughs> apparently teeth is a yeah, sign of showing your teeth. <laughs> yeah, anyway. yeah. Josh, is yeah. that clicking noise you playing with a knife? You're gonna make me edit all that clicking out, dude. Yeah, dude. Well, hey, are you even a herper if you don't have a cheap gas station knife? All right, are you even? Yeah, a I was gonna say. Are, this is five are you freehanding um, rattlesnake right now. I wish. I, I want. I want to talk about cheap gas station knives in a minute, but um, okay. Before before I do, I want to mention that you know some of our some of our friends take uh, and everybody's holding up their knives like. Like this is some kind of knife show. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I'll bring up the guns and the rattlesnakes next. Uh, I want to mention that some of our friends, you know, they take the uh, duct tape and they tape their the bottom of their pants Pant legs, their yeah. sock, and they just wrap their socks and connect their socks and their pants duct tape and seal that off. I'll do that the next uh, time I go to the Ozarks. Yeah, and I'm that's thinking sure. that's a good idea in some places too. I may yeah. I may start doing that too. I I need to get back to the Ozarks, Andy. Um, I'm, I haven't done a really good Ozarks trip in a long time. I haven't been there since that one trip. That was my only time there. Did so, you love it? I mean, other than that day, I absolutely loved it. I love the culture. I love the people. People were friendly. Food. Yeah. I want to get. And, and there was good, bad. there was good animals to be found. It was interesting to me where every other herb trip I've ever been on, including in Washington and private, you know, solo trips. You're always going to private places. You're trying to avoid people. But on that trip, we were getting phone calls of like, oh, go to so-and-so's property. That was the interesting part of that trip. Was I think I think we had eaten at a restaurant and then the whole community knew that these guys were on purpose looking for snakes. Yeah. And we had to go to like a Napa parts store or something or other. And from there, it, it just became people were calling and saying... You know, Didn't we end up on like the daughter of the CEO of Kellogg or something or post cereal? Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, Wait a minute. Let, let's clarify that. You didn't end up on the daughter. You ended up on the daughter's <laughs> the land. Proper, the property. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. This thank is you. a family show, Andy. Hey, whatever it takes to get the spot. That's Andy, you, you kissed me one. in their driveway. Do you remember that? Um, was that after we road cruised uh, the Pygmy? Yeah, the second one, the live one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I do Overcome remember that. by emotion, I guess. Yeah, it was a big deal. Yeah, he kissed me. That. Was that what made Justin open up to road cruising, that Pygmy? No, I'm it, still not super into it. No, that trip was the 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 pinnacle of the argument though. It was it doesn't work, it's lazy, it's all the negatives that people say about road cruising and then to be fair it was their driveway even though their driveway happened to be like miles long i was gonna say it was a two mile forested gravel driveway but what happened is is we road cruised a dor pygmy rattlesnake that would have been a county record and so everyone in the car got excited like okay they are here and then 20 30 minutes later we're going down this really long driveway and we got a live one yeah all i jumped out of the car first and got back and like visually identified it. And my first words out of my mouth was not, it's a pygmy rattlesnake. I looked at Justin and I said, ha ha, road cruising does work. <laughs> and yeah, and I think you dropped F-bombs too, but we'll leave it uh, there was, Yeah, I'm trying to keep it uh, podcast safe after I said yeah. it was on the Oh, I remember it. Was a, it was a moment. Property. It was a moment. Oh, man. I remember a couple of things about that trip. Number one, some people got some really bad uh, chiggers on that trip. But, oh, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, man. And, and I remember oh, yeah. our, I remember our friend Tracy got stuck in the river and, and it was kind of a dangerous Almost drowned. Yeah, was in the river. It was yeah. kind of sketchy. And uh, I remember uh, uh, Matt Ormsby loaning me a wetsuit that was one size too small. <laughs> and so I, I looked like 10 pounds of crap in a five pound sack and that thing. Oh, uh, and yeah. trying to get that thing off after being in the river because we were snorkeling in the river for, for th- things and seeing some cool fish and stuff and turtles and whatnot. But the but other thing amazing. I remember it did it, look like it, an overstuffed it, sausage. Yeah, oh, man, it was just bad. My daughter saw a picture of that and she's like, Oh my god, dad, you know. Uh, but you know, that that was the trip where, where it became evident where Marty Whalen got his nickname. And our friend War- Marty Whalen, uh, he lives here in central Illinois, and we, we started calling him the more time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we started calling him the most valuable herper. So MVH became the his MVH. Name. Yeah, and Marty's a good, great guy. He's not the big. He's not a big herper, but he likes you know being around herpers and going on herp trips and stuff. But he's not you know he's not your your super herping guy. But he's like the most valuable guy because of what he adds to the trip. You know, we arrive down there on the property where we're going to be camping at, and Marty's you know the first thing out of Marty's mouth is, hmm. Well, this is a defensible position. And so, <laughs> you know, yeah. that, that started the whole, oh, we're going to be herping from a defensible position yeah. thing that went on the whole week. And then, uh, you know, and then so Marty uh, Marty brought his guitar down there, old Hellbender, which is the name of his guitar. And uh, our friend Tracy brought his mandolin. They were playing. And then Marty started playing this song. It turned out to be Britney Spears hit me one more time at, at a much slower tempo. And kind of a bluesy tempo and uh you know took us every while everyone a while to to figure out what the heck he was playing but so he adds this degree of entertainment he he has always has a good time no matter where he goes so he no, he's, uh, he's always a good guy to have along so we always call him uh, the most valuable herper for that yeah reason. he's the best yeah so uh shouts out and to marty the armadillos andy they were 
Ooh, armadillos, yeah. Yeah, the armadillos. Uh, yeah. Well, we can't talk about the armadillos too much. So. No, right, yeah. That's sorry, whole, sorry. That's a whole. That's a podcast. that's a different thing. That was funny. Yeah. We should do uh, a part two of this someday, and we can tell. But no, the Ozarks, the Ozarks, the people, the people yeah. were were super super cool. Everybody we met was saying, "Oh, I have snakes in my land. Come check my land out." Um, Which is not normally yeah. the reaction. <laughs> No, and they—they they, uh, you guys may not know this, but they make their own whiskey there. Yeah, yeah so there's, there's that. The, that. That ties what? into the that ties into yeah. the um, armadillo stories. Like I said, podcast episode version two of of whatever we're doing tonight. We can get into that. But yeah, we should do a pingle after dark. Yeah, everybody tells me that. <laughs> My favorite thing about the trip was. Um, there's not any other herping trip where I can say the best food of the trip was from gas stations. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way of all the other food we ate. The fried I mean, chicken. That's the fried time, chicken maybe. and the fried okra and the hush puppies that we got at a couple different gas stations were the best cooked Southern food I've had on several trips to the South and around the U S it was Pretty like, I, I, there's still like to this day, I'm like, well, the hush puppies I've had don't measure up to that one gas station we ate in the middle of nowhere. Well, you know, there's not a lot of grocery stores. There's not a lot of grocery stores down there. You know, you have to go to the towns. And, and so, you know, local people depend on, you know, your ga- your fast food gas station stops for sometimes for, you know, for meals. meals. So, yeah. so they better be pretty good. Or, they were people, good. You know. They were really good. Those little roadside yeah. places. That's always the jam. Like that place in, uh, was it, Tazanapa? That was my favorite meal of this last trip. Yeah, that was good. Oh, yeah, the little roadside, uh, uh, it was a restaurant, or uh, I don't know yeah, what it was. Yeah, it's like, it, it was wasn't like a, a convenience it... store truck stop with a chicken grill where they cooked 30 chickens at a time, and we ate 30 chickens at a time. At least, like, we cleaned that place out. Yeah, those are the best places to stop. You know, and of course, in the United States, you know, we say that this. Uh, go eat at the place with the most pickup trucks because yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, that's where the good food is at. So yeah, if you go to Kansas and you're herping Kansas and you see a bunch of pickup trucks, go eat there. It's probably great. I need to do Kansas this yeah, year. I'm hoping out. to do Kansas this spring for, I got a couple weather friends that, and I want to go find snakes and take pictures of tornadoes. You can do both in the same day. That's what day. I'm trying to do. That's my bucket yeah. list for the spring. That's terrifying. Yeah, we 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 were in the middle of a tornado in Kansas once. Mike and I and Peter and I don't remember who all else. And it was it was terrifying. Yeah, their weather gets big real quick, you know. Yeah. Well, to the point that the next morning we went we went to go find breakfast, and um, we were out on this private land on this ranch, and the you know the armored trucks that uh, the storm chasers have. There were three of them at the gas station, so. We were right in the middle of that mess. Oh, that's badass. Yeah. No, that that's a no for me. Yeah, number, me too. Number, I, one, I number one on my list of natural disasters, weather things, is tornadoes. I, I don't want them. And number one for animals is primates. So I'm glad <laughs> there's not, you know, uh, tornadoes in the Congo, because then I would never go yeah. there. A tornado but with you, you and me. in it. Just... Monkeys and tornadoes are scary. You and me can hang out, Andy, because I'm the same way, man. I yeah, but tornadoes monkeys. are mostly predictable, and on the planes, they're not that scary. No. That's why I don't like the Wizard of Oz. That's yeah, why exactly. I don't like the Wizard of Oz, because you have tornadoes. tornadoes. Yeah, I know, man. It's, it's like the worst nightmare. thing ever. I mean, you're, you're really going to mess with venomous reptiles and do all that and not be worried yep. about. Yeah. 
But I can understand you want to go to Kansas, you know, to see weather because the weather is big out there and it fills the whole sky. Yeah. And we don't get thunderstorms up here, so it's kind of exciting to hear about them. We do. They're just not. You, as you don't really want to be out in a thunderstorm, though. Yeah. Dude, and we get no. maybe one every three years. What are you talking about? Well, you're you're. I work for a utility company. I can tell you that's not well, true. thunderstorm. We get windstorms and stuff like that, but not like actual good lightning. Yeah, if you want to go to Kansas, though, let me know. I mean, it's only a twelve, fourteen hour drive. Let me know. Oh, and, definitely. Uh, yep. See if I can. That's another kind of herper and nature person specific thing. Anyways, you'll be close. It's only a fourteen hour drive. I'll meet you. Yeah. You know. Meet you halfway. Yeah. <laughs> I had a really bad thunderstorm one time in southern Missouri. It was a Mingo Swamp. Oh, yeah. And I went there. I was there with uh, uh, my buddy Wayne Breckis. He's a, a sociologist at the uh, University of Missouri. Shout out to Wayne and, and his brother. They're great guys. But I was uh, I was out with uh, uh, Wayne, and we were looking. For, a couple other people were looking for cottonmouths there at Mingo. And I camped, and I had my little dome tent in a, fee- in a campground and went off and spent the day with Wayne. And, and I could see bad weather back towards the campground but it didn't hit us but when i got back to my tent it was gone and i had a little dome tent and so i had a, a cooler in there and a sleeping bag and this that and the other I had you know probably 100 pounds of stuff in the tent and the the storm was so heavy that it just ripped the the tent loose from the from you know the stakes and then it just kind of rolled and it rolled a couple miles until it finally came up against a fence line in some farmer's field. And it bounced over another fence at some point in the process. So uh, it must have been one heck of a storm. And I get the tent and I open up the zipper and everything in the tent, all my clothing and gear, everything is like wrapped in this ball of, you know, <laughs> it's just been, <laughs> it's obviously been just rolling for a couple miles in, in this hard wind. So uh, I was just happy it didn't happen at night while I was sleeping in in the tent. So yeah, no. My second trip to Snake Road, Justin Geyer and I arrived late, bef- like two days before the rest of the group. And then there was a lightning strike off in the distance, and we were in one of those spots on the road where you can see across the the swamp. And there was this just like wall where you couldn't see past like a mile. It would it would literally like it looked like a concrete wall, and I go. Hey, next time the lightning strikes, look over there. Tell me what that was. And he goes, oh, that's a wall cloud. That's bad. <laughs> and I go, what's a wall cloud? And he goes, it, they're, they're usually accompanied with uh, tornadoes. We should get back to camp. And we're like two and a half miles from either end of the road. That was the, I don't remember if you guys know the, the year, but that was the year that that storm hit. And there was a couple of downboard downbursts on the road. And the next day, you couldn't walk the road. There was yeah, three and, uh, separate sections of tree falls with like thirty trees. Like oh, we remember it was it was oh, yeah. uh, destroyed. It essentially destroyed the road for at least a year. Yeah, I we were that night. We were in the tent, and all I could hear the whole night was the kabooms of trees snapping like toothpicks. None fell in our camp, but it was it to this day. I'm like, yeah, no windstorms and tornadoes. Was was that the northernmost reach of Katrina? No, that was uh, one no. of those what they call them derechos. One of those derechos. It, it was, yeah. Yeah, it was line, a derecho. straight line hurricanes or whatever. Yeah, mudslides and stuff. You're Bo-echo. in somewhat control of putting yourself in danger of that. Stay out of washes. If it's gonna rain a lot, you can avoid a flood. Typically, you know, hurricanes. Stay off the ocean. Stay off the coast. But this is like uh, the tornado is gonna skip and jump 
it might be 30 miles away and then it goes back up in the sky and it moves at 180 miles an hour and then it drops down on top of you and there's nothing yeah. you can do to avoid it. It's existential bingo. No, I mean, yeah. here, I mean, if you're on the coast out here, you have a 9.0 earthquake at any moment or due for it and then a big tsunami that wrecks everything. That'll be fun. Mm. Just a fact of life. I be out sometimes with these storms like up here. The salamanders like the storms up here. And I've been caught in some crazy big events. Like we get these big atmospheric rivers with all this rain coming. And I've been the last car out on a road before the river totally takes it over, completely washes it out. And that makes you uh, nervous for a little bit afterwards. Sure. Yeah, but that that's kind of my point though, Josh. Like I feel like an earthquake is is an unbiased radius with an epicenter right like everyone is treated equally poorly but equally whereas you know a tornado is like you might not actually be in the storm zone originally predicted it might just skip and jump 60 miles and drop oh, no, they're on terrifying. your barn like they're the worst yeah I, they're I terrifying there are lightning strikes in there too right. well, lightning's really dangerous well i can tell like on chasing I mean, that, yeah it's kind of like with venomous reptiles you can you can do it in a safe manner. Um, if you know what you're doing, you follow the movements, you listen to the people that know what they're talking about. Nice segue. Like free handling? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm talking about the wild ones, but yeah, I mean. I, I'm not going to follow your analogy, but I do want to talk about free handling. <laughs> oh, you do? You're going to touch it? You're going to touch that one? Well, as long as you don't mention any names. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just main character. Are we going to stop at names? Are we going to talk about facebook groups or groups of people oh well i guess you can talk about groups of people but okay. i got my gas station knife ready again let's go oh brother yeah i, I you know i i'm just sort of mystified by this sub subgroup of people that seem to uh think they possess a power over uh venomous venomous snakes uh that the rest of us don't feel uh, or, it, yeah. or possess, and they, they seem to think that your ticket is your ticket to safely handling these animals and holding venomous animals in your hand is the the ticket is some attitude you have or some some oneness with the universe. I'm not quite I sh I'm not sure I understand where that comes from or, or how you get there. I'm gonna try to draw a distinction right now. Do you guys have any understanding one way or the other of someone who may be naive to they've never been bit? And so it's an excuse of, I know what I'm doing because I've never been bit. Sure. You get away, they get away with it so much that they think that there's, it, it validates. They their, think they're good at it. Yeah. What's it called? Like validation bias. Like they get to say, I, I can understand my animal and it's never bit me. But then there's the other people that have been bit maybe numerous times <laughs> and they still oh, yeah. do it. Oh yeah. They'd be like, I can hold my animal. I have no problem. Their only thing yeah. that like I can kind of get online with is like I know the risks, trust me. And and they even will put in the caveat like don't do what I can do. But oh yeah. They've been bit and I don't get it. Several of them. Yeah, I I don't understand it at all and it there seems to be a a subculture of that is out there and, and I, it's I'm larger not, than we want to admit. And I'm not part of it and so it was kind of a shock to me. Yeah, to find out how many people are, are kind of involved in this. And it's large enough to the extent where there's actually a, I don't know what to call it, a, a free handler's dating site. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, there is. You um, know, and I don't yeah. think I don't think they have an app yet, but no, they've uh, got a Facebook. There used page, to be some though. churches like that, and now it's just gone online. <laughs> I think everyone wants to handle <laughs> show that they can churches. handle a big venomous aggressive snake, you know, for obvious connections there. And if you got a Lord Farquaad level of compensate, then that's the best <laughs> that's oh, nice. the best yeah. way to do it. Um Ultimately, I think that's it, right? And like a lot of these people are say relative because it's like their collection, it's their animals. Uh, but beyond that, for me, it's already inherently dangerous. We don't need to make it more so. And for people, academic isn't the word, right? But like people who are more scientifically minded on it, we've lost people, very smart people, to snake bites that have sure, done yes. things mostly right or were reckless enough that they got bit and we've learned from that and there's been a lot of great people that have you know been bit lost their life been severely injured so we've kind of learned from that just because we approach things more intelligently by nature versus just i'm trying to be a badass and yeah i don't think you're grouping these other people in josh but like that that's the huge divider between our group we would lump ourselves in which are field herpetologists and maybe some of us keep captives and maybe even some of us keep venomous captives versus the people that we're talking about if we were gun enthusiasts these are people that do the wyatt or uh, or the the doc holiday uh drunken bar scene with a loaded pistol right the rest of the gun enthusiasts would shun that person and say, no, you're not a, a responsible gun owner because one of these days that gun's going to go off. And we're kind of making fun of them, but at the same time tolerating it because we can say, well, they're not part of our group. But the funny thing is, is one of the, one of the comments I see repeatedly is, oh, you're messing up our hobby. And I'm like, what hobby are we talking about? Because my hobby and your hobby are, are defined clearly. Well, they do. They do cause a problem in the sense that um, you know they they take up resources in the sense that they use anti venom sure. and uh, and things like that that they probably won't be able to pay for. There's a huge misunderstanding by most of the people that make those comments of it's only me at risk that they don't really think about what are you going to do when you get bit. I, I don't believe that most of these people that are free handling for Instagram are really prepared for getting bit in the no, way they, sure they claim to be. There are people out there that that do it, that have done it well. There's definitely professionals that got bit. There's It's on video. You can see guys that have been bit during a milking and they put that snake back and they shut the door and they have a bite protocol to follow. But having it and following it are two very different things. Sure. And yeah, I, don't, I don't think we're talking about the same people, but I, yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm deviating and giving credit where maybe it's not. Well, due. It's the, not the, the problem, same. the problem too, with is public perception and, and you know, um, we all tend to get lumped together as the, all those people over there who, who like snakes and we get lumped in with those folks. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's not good. Oh yeah. They pull up the tire um, king yeah. type stuff and it's like, Oh yeah, that's how animal yeah. people are. Or, you know, if I have another person, it's like, oh, you're you're kind of like Coyote Peterson to oh, to God. name drop, but it's the same thing. It's like, oh, that's what you're after. You're just after chasing something, 
you're doing it because it's dangerous. You're doing it something because it's cool to brag about being dangerous. And the, you know, the gun analogy is a great one. And yeah, things can happen. We're, we're messing with things that can change our lives, can kill us, can, you know, maim us permanently. And if we don't treat it with that respect, but then on the other side, when there's someone who's related to our hobby isn't, that's when people who make rules that are way above us can come into play. And yeah, the less we have them involved, the better. And when people see that, that's how can you, you, you can't defend it to someone who doesn't know. And then if you do know, it's even worse. But the muggles lump us all in as one big collective. That's the difficulty. And what you said there is the exact thing. They, they don't see a difference between the person who has a rattlesnake that they shouldn't own at all. Yeah, I mean, it's without without using names to offend anyone that you're right. It's there. There is no difference to the general public between Steve Irwin and Raymond Hoser and you and me and Josh and Mike and all, all the people on Instagram. We're all weird snake people. Yeah. So, you know, but we we're in the group and we're like, no, 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 no. What we do is very, very different. That picture of that rattlesnake I've got, there was someone standing over the back of me with a hook on my forehead, basically protecting me from that. You weren't that close either. You know, I'm, you know, uh, you're shooting with a lens that allows you to, to take it's a, got a magna- it's got it's a magnification and it's yeah, yeah exactly. But, and I, but I hear people tell me, you know, people tell me that all the time, well, how do you get so close to that thing? Well, I, I say, well, I don't, I don't get that close, right. but the, the camera makes it look like I'm really close to that thing. I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and grandstand and pretend that I have not handled venomous snakes. I'm not going to say that handling venomous snakes is the problem or taking, doing it for photos is the problem. I think there's a motivation factor and there's also a how you do it factor. Yeah. Well, there's, there's two things that get up my nose and you hit on one of them. One of them is doing it to be, to be popular, to make your bones, you know, to, make your mark in the world. And so you do it. So you, you get people who like you and social media for, mm-hmm. for whatever that is worth. And I really don't think that's worth much of anything, but uh, that's just me. But the other, the other thing it is worth it though. The, the culture is paying people yeah. for follows and likes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, but yeah, it's a other, profession now, Mike, right? Like there's people that are making money off of how many people follow them. Yeah. Crazy. Well, the other thing is uh, these folks that, that just claim to have some, and sometimes it's the same people that, you know, they're out there for the, the social media thing, but they, they claim to have some mystical connection, you know, in yeah. a uh, connection between them and the animal. And I can you know, read the animal better than you can. What you yeah, think is unsafe. Uh, I know is safe because I can do this thing that other people yeah. can't do. Yeah. And, and you me. know, and, and they, uh, they uh, attribute powers to these animals, human attributes that they don't have, uh, <laughs> you know, they're anthropomorphized that, the crap out of these things. And that's yeah. the funny thing with that is then you ask, okay, so what are some like behavior things that you've noticed? And then it's just uh, nothing, you know, they got no, they can't qualify it. No, and there's no qualification. One of the, me personally, like, Hey, we're dealing with it. Something that's inherently dangerous. Like one of the closest times I ever came to a bite was with the Norpac in Washington. And I'm taking some pictures. And I was close, but a safe enough distance for what happened to be aware of it. And I noticed it's breathing change up from thousands oh, yeah. of Norpacks I've seen. I noticed it's breathing changed up. I immediately started backing up 
and you know it lunged at me. And the good news was that snake didn't come within two feet of actually making contact and tried retreating. And that, but if yeah. I was trying to actually hold that animal, I would have game over. Well, you make these assumptions about how the animal will behave. That gets you. And we've talked about right. this on the show many times before. The assumptions that it will it will coil up and stand its ground and, and just rattle at you. Um, and the the lunging thing is we've seen that, and many of our friends have seen that. Is this lunging behavior that maybe nine out of ten rattlesnakes never do it, but that tenth one, that tenth one will. It just takes one know, surprise one you. moment. There's so many irritating things about it. You know, like snakes and lizards and frogs and salamanders, for the most part, they can't change their facial expression. You know what I mean? There, there's not very many physiological signs that reptiles and amphibians can give you that they're changing from placid and calm and collected to I'm going to act defensively right now. And for anyone to claim otherwise, like, oh, well, when my hand is on it, I can t- I can sense that. Rattlesnakes rattle, they coil up, sure. But it doesn't mean that if they're not rattling and they're not coiled up that they can't bite you. Yep. We've all seen it. Yeah, and it, 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 we've all seen it. We These people have to learn a hard lesson. Some of them don't. We've seen that. Don't. We've seen We've seen some of these people get bit by different species and keep coming back doing it again. Exactly. There's people that have almost made a, a historic like persona over the fact that they've been bit so many times, like by multiple know, species. Sense. And I'm like, your popularity derives from you making mistakes over and over it, and over and not learning. Yeah, it's a, it's a black mark on the hobby for me. Cause yeah. it, and, and, and then when I say that I don't keep venomous, but it's just like, you know, for the average Joe out there, we're all the same group. That's yeah. the, that's why yeah. I'm against it. I'd rather go see them where they live. Yeah. Yep. Well, yeah. That's, and the, a lot of that comes back to, you know, respect thing. And then for us, we have to be in general more careful because we might be a day's boat trip away from any safety. Yeah. That's a very good. That's a very good uh, point. Two days yeah. car ride down a mountainside to any legitimate civilization or even just up on a talus slope or something like there's so much situations where we those things eat. happen man those yeah. things happen and they do doing happen. something inherently dangerous you need to take all the mitigation the danger is kind of the point that's part of the reason why we love those animals but then in the flip side we got to have that respect constantly of what they can do and have the respect for it versus oh i'm the badass rambo guy who can tame the beast Versus respect yeah. the beast. Well, I have these rare moments when I have to handle a venomous snake. Usually it's a Bushmaster or, or a Fertilance, and I, I would rather not handle them all, but occasionally I need to move them around to get them so people can take a picture of one. And I always tell people, do not take a picture of me doing this. <laughs> <laughs> because I don't, you know, and then you end up on the internet and there's this Is picture of you and you... And, and it loses all context. You know, that's the, that's the thing. A, a, cont- a picture has context until it loses it. And then when it loses mm-hmm. it, it's like, well, look at this guy. Who does Pingleton think he is handling that yeah. Bushmaster like that? Or, you know, whatever. So those, those you know, that's always been my concern is that y- you, see, you see these things and you, you don't want people to think something else is actually going on because they, they weren't there or the 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 text that went with the photo is no longer attached to it so. yeah 99 of the time now for me the number one reason i'll do it is for the animal safety moving animals out of roads 
Yeah, yeah. And that's and just the number two reason up and... is other people around me's safety. So whether yeah. that's strangers, I found the snake on a trail and there's people walking up. There are exceptions. I already ratted myself out. There are sometimes exceptions that I make. Um, but we don't publicize it. Like you said, I don't want those photos published in any way. You use tools and other mitigation things to make a dangerous situation as safe as possible, but still doing the action that wanted to happen, right? Right. Not as just, safe as possible I'm with doing, making a decision, I'm going to do something dangerous. Correct. You, you were doing a dangerous thing in the safest manner. But as safe as that moment can be, like, or another example is like it kind of talking the picture thing. Um, we've taken pictures alone, but like in Wyoming, when I was taking the Milky Way shots with that con color, we had yeah, there was three of us spotting the snake around the top of you with hooks in our hands and flashlights. Yep, on the and I didn't have the light, and it was it, you never touched it, never touched it. I have my camera; it's a manual focus lens, just pure. And in that situation, again. Was that dangerous? Yes. Was it worth it to get that shot? In my mind, yes. And we did everything possible to make the safe outcome be the most likely outcome. And everyone went away from it. Instead, we could go, oh yeah, I'm Billy Badass. Here, take a picture of me holding the snake in front of everything. And there's a huge, huge difference there. Like Mike said, though, the, the, one of those huge differences is those in-between moments not getting put out there out of because there there's moments yeah. out of context where someone takes a picture there and they post it like here's andy moving this con color for josh but they but the caption gets lost in the translation and all you've got is a picture of me in the dark holding a snake by the tail and that's not too far away from what we're complaining about out yeah. of context yeah i mean and I agree with posting on that. Although I've posted, you know, pictures of it showing like, look, hey, this is even from that night. Like, there's people. Look at look at how how we're trying to mitigate that. And it's obvious when it's just a power grab. And I think it's the intent. That's 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 the whole point of it. Is like, what is your intention? What's your goal? Culturally, that's one of the best things that happened with on the like the filtering side of things, especially like for me, I'm. You know, I've crossed 30 now, but as a teen coming up, that's when people like Mike and Justin and you and like a bunch of these other people were, um, you know, the Jeff Lems and all these other people that were involved with this stuff were like, hey, we're not going to post any pictures of people holding venomous snakes anymore. As a group, we largely decided not to, especially in any public setting. And yep. that was yeah. big time because that's like for me personally, I'm a 15 year old kid who you know 16 year old kid who's got a car it can go out and loves rattlesnakes and oh man i want to three finger hold a rattlesnake oh god i've never done that i have never actually three finger hold held a snake a venomous snake i just never okay, done good. it because the people i looked up to made it abundantly clear that's dumb we did it and yeah. there's hey, are are you trying to milk it oh okay great are, is there anything you're gonna glean from doing that nope don't don't do it. It's that simple. And yeah, there's no need. You know, you risk ostracization if you do that. And it's like, cool. I don't want to lose this group. I want to lose this culture I'm part of. So I'm gonna do it the right way. And like, there's no data. Right. I mean, outside, I guess, like milking situations that handling in that manner 
goes away. It's like I have blacklisted Herpers privately in my own head. I, I'm not putting it, a list of names out there, but I have blacklisted people from like I will not travel with that person or let them be in my vehicle, sure, or or or, or anything again because of seeing them do things like that. Because like, they're nope. reckless. Yeah. If that's what you want to do, that's cool. You go ahead and do it on your own time, but you're not going to be in my car when you get bit. You're not going to be in my campsite when you get bit because you're yeah. ruining my experience at that point. From being the right. people that think like, oh, yeah. it's, the consequences are mine are so selfish that they don't realize that you can't stop that snowball. You, you, you've taken a week's vacation. You spent uh, X number of dollars to, to do this thing. And then somebody on the trip gets bit. And now the rest of the trip is spent dealing with the person who got bit. And there goes your vacation, and there yeah. goes your money, and there goes your fun and your trip, and all and the that, other and things. And those are you all just see. the the easy so, yeah. selfish things to think about, Mike. Think about like, well, all right, they had. Their, I'm a selfish guy. So that's <laughs> I am I too, but like, <laughs> think think about it a step further. You were there when they got bit. They went to the hospital. They had their own transportation. They're gone. You have four more days. Uh, you know, the thing of it is, is that it doesn't work out that way. What it, what it works out to is that you end up hanging around the hospital. Exactly. Or, you exactly. know, because this thing happened and, and it's like, it, it never works. It will never work out that you're like, oh, you know, okay, well, he's, he's yeah, whatever. Car, blah, blah, blah. We'll just keep on going. It's never going to work out that way. Right. And, uh, and so, you know, that's why people are careful with who they have on trips and they, they're, and people always wonder why, you know, uh, why people are careful about who gets invited on trips because yeah, you have to feel out how people behave um, because you, you know, you, that's the last thing you want to do is, is have an obligation towards somebody who uh, is basically screwing you over because they, you know, they, they have a, a problem with, yeah. um, you know, they're reckless or whatever. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, um, you know, it'd be nice to say, well, I would just keep on herping, but the re- the reality of it is, is that you have to, you can't do it that way. So I had the moment yeah. Josh talked about where there's guys that I knew from the internet persona wise that had reputations that I, I cared about my first impressions. My second time meeting Justin was my second trip to snake road. And I had the rare experience of four days on my first trip where I did not see a cotton mouth. There's not, very yeah, many dry. People, there's yeah. not very many people that can say they went to snake road for four days and didn't see a cotton mouth on their first trip. Probably should have hurt better. Yeah, I should have hurt a lot better. But my second trip, and 20 minutes out of the car, we're up on the bluffs, and there was an adult cottonmouth that had gotten spooked back down in the bluffs. And my reaction was to, I'm going to go grab that snake by the tail and pull it out before it gets away. And Justin said, don't do that. And I said, yeah. I, I kind of, I brushed it off. Like I, I've grabbed rattlesnakes as they get off the trail and pulled them back out. And I grabbed that cottonmouth by the tail. And before I knew about it, there was a big white gaping mouth over the top of the tail I was holding. I almost slid off the, the freaking hillside. I let go of it and like fell back on my butt, but that snake had turned around so much faster than I expected. And I looked up at him and he, he was kind of disappointed that I ignored him, but kind of also chuckled. Like I told you not to touch it and I didn't expect it. And it was, you know, a disrespect to that animal's ability 
and an immaturity of being 23 or 24 and thinking like, oh, I've handled five or six rattlesnakes without a problem. I can grab this cotton mouth and pull it before it bites me. It was pretty close, actually. And I never touched a cotton mouth ever again. You lose your machismo pretty fast when you get scared down. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it, it was, it reset my attitude real quick. I want to thank you all for listening to uh, Coming of Age with Andy O'Connor. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the problem is that some of these people never come to age. Well, I think we need to be mentors. And, and sometimes the hobby is not friendly to new people, but we need to maybe work on that because new yeah, people need a mentor. I mean, social media is definitely not the way to learn lessons and get opinions and, and uh, well, that's, that's why I like places. That's why I like places like Snake Road where you can – you get to meet people and, and you have this neutral ground and uh, you're new to herping. You can go there and hang out and learn from other people and it's just kind of hang out and get and catch the vibe of the, of the community uh, because it's, it's much different from what you experience online. I'd say my lesson was equally the fact that I recognized that animal almost bit me. And that guy that I look up to is looking at me like I'm an idiot. Yeah. It would have been way different if that was captured on film and you guys messaged me or commented like, haha, you idiot, you almost got bit. I, it would have been a completely different absorption of the shame. And that's the problem is over the Facebook groups, the shame isn't absorbed the same. Just right. commenting and telling someone how dumb they are for doing what they do does not sit the same as if you were someone they cared about as far as opinion goes. And you were in the room with them and said, Hey man, if you keep doing that, I'm leaving and I'm not coming back. Yeah. Well guys, we are at the two hour mark. It's hard to believe. Oh yeah. We've actually been talking Yikes. two hours and uh, I know that Justin has to get up and go to work tomorrow. Yeah. You guys have to get up and go to work tomorrow too. Uh, but uh, two yeah, hours two later, hours than yeah. <laughs> Justin does, and uh, he's had a long weekend because uh, we we stayed up last night. Justin and I went out to uh, 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 Marty Whaling, valuable Herper MVH. We went out to his farm with our buddy Peter Berg, and we hung out there and uh, stayed up late and, and uh, got up early this morning, came home, and it was, so it's been a kind of a long weekend for us already. And it was really weird because we didn't. I don't think we talked about herps at all. That's that. what's that's what's pretty cool that. Four, four of us are all together because of herping and we've done herping trips together, but we, we usually talk about music and all these uh, food and all these things. And then we actually played music together last night, which was a lot of fun. I would love so it's good that. to get together with you guys tonight and actually talk about herping too. So it's, it's, you know, I get the best of both worlds here. Yeah. Hopefully so. we can see each all again soon. I can't wait to yeah, get out illinois or get you guys up in the nw or, or or kansas or get out there yeah if you end up going to kansas or you come to illinois i mean please let me know yeah i'll hit you up for sure come to washington yeah. kansas is cool though anybody who hasn't been there because it's it's i don't know how to explain it. it's like an alien landscape you you can be in a place and not see a fence post or a telephone pole or a house or a tree or anything and there's just flippable rocks everywhere you can see as far as you can see sounds and like it's, heaven <laughs> it's just awesome man yeah it's pretty cool i would like to get up to the pacific northwest again sure. I, i'd uh well i'd like to get up there that's for sure yeah you guys have a ton of cool stuff especially the salamanders and and some of the garter snakes i'm really interested in some of that stuff so some point 
garters and the dick frogs and the salamanders and plus the most beautiful landscapes of herping in the country for sure. Yeah, you got volcanoes yeah. and stuff. I mean, right? I live right right yeah. under one. Like uh, cool. Mount Rainier is yeah. twenty miles yeah. as the crow flies from me. It's just right there. He's yeah. in the kill zone. Yeah, I am. I am dead. <laughs> My my house right now is on eruptive mud flows of Rainier. Several of them. Oh God! Okay. We have tornado sirens, like you know the tornado siren things you guys got in the Midwest. We have those for the volcano. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. But isn't Rainier is Rainier quiescent or is it active? Uh, last it time a... Rainier erupted was like the 1860s, I think. Um, oh, you'll be yeah, fine. it's active. <laughs> um, Rainier, when it goes what again, go it's wrong. Be bad it's going to do it like st helens did because the mountains all rotted out because all the glaciers and stuff melting and everything so once it goes boom Mm. it's going to be really bad it'll go all the way to seattle and stuff it'll probably be the worst natural disaster in the united states ever yeah it could be 10 years from now or 200 years from now or in uh, a month it's just yeah Hmm. well there's that stuff right Yeah, I was like, well, I was hoping to be down on a high note here, but oh no, that's yeah, the exciting right. thing. I, I was getting ready to say well, it was really good to chat with you guys, but uh, holy cow, that was heavy. <laughs> um, what's crazy is like you would think that like, amphibians can handle it, but some of the first animals, most of the like the first animals to recolonize St. Helens were amphibians. Western toad, Van Dyke salamander, all, like amphibians yeah. came back before most of the other stuff, actually, which was wild. Hmm. Okay. Don't worry, guys. Good I'm far know. enough north; it won't hit me. Yeah. He just has glacier okay. feet to worry about. We got, yeah. We got like five different okay. ones. All right. Well, uh, Josh, you can go and and live at Andy's right. house. <laughs> no, he can't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll call it Matt. Okay. But yeah, guys. Fun. Well, it's, All right. It's good to chat with you, fellas, uh, and see ya. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks, all all three of you. I appreciate you coming on Thank and, you, and talking to yeah, me. And uh, it, it's number one, like I always say, you know, I, even if I wasn't recording, it'd be fun just to to talk with you guys. The Absolutely. lifelong friends built by this is there's something yeah. there's a unique quality yeah. to it. It's a good community. Yeah, yeah. Like truly, it's like who you're talking to? Oh, a friend. Well, I mean, how many times you met him? Like twice in the middle of nowhere on the side of a road, looking at a snake, and that was it. Yeah, it's, I, I've talked about this before. It's like me. It's like me and Eric McCormick. You know, I've known Eric for I don't know. Good golly, I've known Eric for fifteen years or something. And uh, Eric's never been to my house and never been to his house, and I only see him in some weird place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I'll say yeah, and, and you know I'll say Eric, my friend. I don't know where I'll see you, but it won't be at my house. It'll be it'll be someplace else. So that's just the it's just the nature of field herping you know you're not close-knit community you know justin's the closest guy i know and just justin and marty and uh but otherwise it's everybody's far flung we all just get together in weird places and, mm-hmm. and that's how that's how we roll so all right guys uh, i'm gonna shut it down now and uh once again thanks for talking to me and uh thanks, hope Mike. you all have a a good christmas and a good holiday yeah, Safe yeah, travels if you're merry christmas happy new year mm, merry yeah. christmas guys happy new year all right talk to you soon That's it for episode 55. Thank you, Josh, Andy, and Justin for hanging out with me for a couple hours. Uh, It was really fun to talk with you guys. 
And uh, thanks for listening, everyone. And if you have any thoughts on the show, I would like to hear from you. And thanks, as always, to all of the So Much Pingle patrons. Uh, and if you would like to kick in a few bucks to help support the show, you can do so via Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash so much pingle. And so much pingle is all one word. You can also make one-time contributions via PayPal or Venmo. Just drop me an email to so much pingle at gmail.com for more details. And don't forget that you can find all of the recorded episodes and show notes at so much pingle.com. And you can also join the So Much Pingle Facebook group to follow the show and interact with me and some of my guests. And last but not least, you can reach me directly via email at somuchpinkle at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. And until we meet again, please take good care of yourselves and don't forget to hurt better. <laughs>